Welcome back, everybody. Hello. It's the We Don't Want to Grow Up podcast. Stacy and Pete. We're here. It's our month of love. It is our month of love. I'm going to start saying it's our month of love. Month of love. Before every single episode, every month, for all (laughs) eternity. I like that. All right. Show and tell this week. I feel like it's an OG. Yes. Or maybe the OG. Our first Patreon member for sure. Yes. One of our bestest friends. (laughs) Yes, that we've made through this podcast. Yes. I'm excited. It's Amber. Amber has shared a lot of her fun stories with us, especially a lot of the spooky stories that we read. Fantastic spooky stories. Yes. Amber, keep those coming in, please. I don't care if you start making them up. (laughs) They're great. She's a good writer, too. She is. But Amber and I have actually become really great friends. She started writing to me. I loved it because she would send me emails after every podcast episode came out and just like comment on different things that we talked about. It was like a lot of really great feedback. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel so great that we ended up just talking about other things too, personal things. And like, I really trust her now. Now we talk on Marco Polo and text each other. And I just, I consider her to be a friend. So it's really cool. I talked about that when we talked about Joanna, like I've made a lot of really good friends through this and it's just one of my favorite things. It's the best thing to have come out of this podcast, followed closely by you getting me to watch things that I wouldn't have watched. But, you know, I'd say that the friendships are a little better. Right. And then some of the celebrity encounters. Yeah. Been a few of those that have been kind of exciting. That's right. Very exciting for you. <laughs> you got a message from Jem herself. Yes, the voice of Jem the from Jem and the holograms. Yeah. That is true. Very exciting. That might be my most exciting uh, encounter. You don't know how nervous I was to actually record that, thinking that I might get it wrong. I was afraid I was going to lose it forever. I had like three different splits of it to make sure one of them worked. <laughs> And it worked. That was such an exciting day. (laughs) It was an exciting day. And that was so early on. I know. That's funny. All right. Back to Amber. Born 1981, same year as both of my younger sisters. That's right. I forget that they were both born in 1981, but they're not twins. 11 months apart. So my parents, you know, very close. (laughs) Little back to back babies. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe take a break. I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. Back to Amber, born in 81, her favorite 80s movie. And she says, if I can only pick one, it's The Last Unicorn. Though it's hard to narrow down an entire decade to one movie or one song. I get it. I, I know. It. I Listen, she and I talked about this. I'm like, you can add HMs if you want. It's okay. <laughs> you see how hard of a time that we have picking yes. five. Right. So go ahead. And she's like, no, it's okay. You asked for one. I'm going to give you one. <laughs> Should we expand it next time and say, okay, give us your top five? Yes. Well, someone else that's written in, we haven't shared theirs yet. They listed a ton, (laughs) which I haven't told Amber that yet. (laughs) Her favorite song from the 80s, Time After Time by Cyndi Lauper. It's a good one. Very good. What she said was kind of the way that she was narrowing things down was thinking like, okay, I'm on a stranded island and I can only listen to this one song or all these movies are on the TV and I have to pick one to watch. Which one is it going to be? Right. You know, that, and I think that is a different perspective that might help you choose a little more. It's hard. We, sh- we should use that technique because, I mean, I don't know when this episode is going to release versus what we've recorded today, but we had a top five list that then turned into a top 11 list for you. So we definitely understand your pain. Okay. Her favorite 90s movie, The Thing Called Love, which I actually mentioned in one of those episodes we recorded earlier. Again, she says, but this is so hard to choose just one from the decade. Favorite 90s song, Smooth by Santana. Yes. Forget about it. 
that takes her back to a very specific time and place, but so do about 20 other songs from the 90s. I know. <laughs> She's I mean, struggling. It was our coming of age. So, I mean, everything reminds me of something from the 90s. It's all formative. Yep. The toy that she loved the most as a child. It was a pink My Little Pony sea pony with a blue floaty. She said, I used to take it with me everywhere and definitely got in trouble for doing that. You couldn't bring your toy with you? (laughs) I don't know. Parents have different rules. They do. Amber, that's expensive. You leave that at home. (laughs) I still have it somewhere, either in a box or on a shelf at my parents' house. Well, prove it. We need a photo. (laughs) Favorite book from when she was a child, Harold and the Purple Crayon. That's a good one. But when I was in middle school... The scary stories to tell in the dark series. Yes. Let's be real. Those scary stories are still ingrained in my memory to this day, yep. is what she said. <laughs> Do you know what Harold and the Purple Crayon is? I've never heard of that one. Yes. I actually used to read it to my kids when I taught preschool. Did you? We'll have to go see what happens to Harold and this Purple Crayon. I'll read it to you. Thank you. Her favorite place to go in the mall, Claire's, mm. for all the fashion accessories. And finally, she said, I'm so glad that this community exists. I'm Mm -hmm. so thankful that you guys created the podcast and Instagram account. It's really been a slice of sanity over the last couple of years. And it's been so nice getting to know Stacy. That's me. That's you. (laughs) Also, if it wasn't for you guys and your followers, I never would have been able to track down that toy I couldn't think of the name of, which was? It's the We Wild Things. (laughs) And she, I think, found this other account that I I follow called Girls Rock Your Toys when they follow us as well, who's a big toy collector, and she had posted about it. Oh, really? But it was a toy Amber had been talking to me about, like, do you know this toy? She was Mm -hmm. describing it to me and everything. And she found it because Faith had it. She actually has since found it on eBay and was really considering getting it, hasn't gotten it yet. But she said, one day I will own that limo again. LOL. Amber, if I can say one thing, if it's within reason, just do it. I think she was struggling with the fact that it wasn't hers, that it wouldn't mean as much to her because it wasn't the actual toy that she owned. Mm. It it had belonged to someone else, you know? I can say that the ones that I've gotten, that even though they're not the ones that I owned, they've meant a lot to me. Yeah, me too. Having them, so. Me too, but everybody has different different. priorities and feelings about that, so. Well, thank you for sharing, Amber. Yes, and I still think you should get it. You should get it. (laughs) And if you'd like to be featured in our show and tell segment, be sure and DM us on Instagram or email us at we don't want to grow up pod at gmail.com and we'll get a questionnaire to you and you can either fill it out and we'll read it or send us a clear voice recording and we'll play it on the show. How nostalgic is that? It's like you have homework again. (laughs) Thanks, Amber. Now you can return to your seat. (laughs) (laughs) Amber, go sit down. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's movie time. That's right. This week, we are covering singles. Thank you for this. This is another gift that's been given to me from our podcast. (laughs) This is funny because this was a poster that I've seen many times. I just never quite knew what to make of it. And I I didn't catch it back in the day. It blows my mind that this movie is not one that was on your radar. It wasn't in regular rotation for either of us in the 90s. I did see it when I was younger. Did you? But it was not a repeater movie for me. So I didn't remember. And at the time, like I wasn't really paying attention to you know, the grunge movement and everything. So I didn't recognize anybody. And I, I, I mean, I was like, I was 13 mm-hmm. at the time. And I don't think I really understood. I mean, now I think it is incredible. Absolutely. I was going through some stuff at this time where I didn't watch a lot of movies because I was bouncing around. I was bouncing around. Yeah. I never quite caught it, but I'm surprised that after things settled down, you know, after like 96 or so, That I didn't see it in like Blockbuster and grab it because I feel like that's where I saw the cover art was in Blockbuster. And I just never I never knew who was in it, what it was about, what music was in there. Right. I mean, it features several musicians who were front and center in the early 90s grunge movement in Seattle. Some of your favorite people. Yes. So if you had known that they were all in it, I know you would have watched. it. Oh, my gosh. I owned it. And also, like, for me, it's a Cameron Crowe movie Mm -hmm. who made my all-time favorite movie, which is also based on his life, Almost Famous, 
you know, this was just a miss for us, but a gift now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so happy we we're covered a little it. late. We're 30 years late. A little late, but I'm so happy we found it. Me too. As you mentioned, this was written, co-produced, and directed by Cameron Crowe. It's pretty much a rom-com, right? I mean, it's yes. not like your typical rom-com, but it right. is a rom-com. And it's centered around the love lives of a group of 20-somethings that are living in the same apartment building. Almost all of them are living in the same apartment building. It has a sign in front of it that advertises singles, which, you know, it's a single bedroom apartments for rent. And we just follow along with their stories as they're set against the backdrop of the Seattle music scene, like we said before. Mm -hmm. So cast-wise, we have Bridget Fonda, who plays Janet Livermore. Campbell Scott as Steve Dunn. Kira Sedgwick as Linda Powell. Matt Dillon as Cliff Poncier. Sheila Kelly as Debbie Hunt. Jim True Forrest as David Bailey. Bill Pullman as Dr. Jeffrey Jameson. And James LaGrosse as Andy. There were also a ton of small appearances by... We had Eric Stoltz as the mime. Jeremy Piven was in this as Doug Hughley, who is the grocery store clerk. Tom Skerritt as Mayor Weber. Peter Horton as Jamie, who is one of the guys that Debbie dates. Eddie Vedder, Stone Gossard, and Jeff Ament play the band members of Citizen Dick, which is Cliff's band, Matt Dillon's character. There are also appearances from Allison Chains and Soundgarden, as well as cameos by film director Tim Burton and basketball player Xavier McDaniel, who plays himself. You have Paul Giamatti as a guy making out with a girl at the bar and... Cameron Crowe is there as an interviewer at the club, which is great since that's what he did for Rolling Stone magazine, you know, that we learned about in Almost Famous. All right. So fun facts. Johnny Depp was offered the role of Steve, who's the main love interest of Kira Sedgwick, but he declined. Jodie Foster and Mary Stuart Masterson were both considered for the role of Linda and Jennifer Jason Lee was originally cast, but dropped out. So Cameron Crowe originally envisioned singer Chris Cornell in the role of Cliff. Mm. But Cornell turned it down because I guess the filming schedule was too much because he was trying to focus solely on Soundgarden. I just want to focus on my music, man. (laughs) But Crowe still gave him a wordless cameo in the movie. And he asked Soundgarden to perform their song Birth Ritual in one of the scenes. so incredible that they were out there just like well you know chris you guys just play you play a song it's fine you got to go do your thing i know lane you guys come you play a song too they were just all hanging out yeah lucky bastard <laughs> so most of matt Dillon's wardrobe in the movie actually belonged to pearl jam bassist jeff ament <laughs> which makes sense it's authentic it is very authentic i was like wow they've really they really nailed it <laughs> And during the making of the film, Ament produced a list of song titles for the fictional band Citizen Dick. And Chris Cornell took it upon himself as a personal challenge to write songs for the film using those titles. <laughs> and Spoonman was one of them, which later became a, a Soundgarden song. hit. An early acoustic version of that song, though, was created and can be heard in the background during one of the scenes in the film. Really? And now I want to rewatch the movie yes. so you can hear which scene it is. Absolutely. Citizen Dick's song, Touch Me, I'm Dick, is a parody of the song, Touch Me, I'm Sick, by the Seattle band Mud Hunt. <laughs> this I thought was funny. So Warner Brothers Television immediately tried to turn singles into a TV series, right? So Cameron would not agree to it and found out later that singles inspired a TV series that you may have all heard of, Friends. Really? Yeah, so the same people who created Friends were the ones that were interested in singles. Wow. And apparently Cameron Crowe's mother would repeatedly tease him about missing out on that. (laughs) She's like, all you had to do was say yes. You just had to say yes. It was like, oh, no, 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 that's not my artistic vision. So, I mean, obviously it's not similar to singles at all, really, other than the fact that it's a bunch of single friends hanging Hmm. out that date each other. Yeah. But, But it's not, you know, I mean, it's set in New York. Yes. They changed the setting for sure. Yes. And they're not musicians. They're not musicians. Well, Phoebe is a musician for That's sure. That's true. Yes. She would have fit in well. <laughs> they are drinking a lot of coffee, which <laughs> they do in Seattle as <laughs> <Yes>. well. 
So on July 5th, 2015, Derek Erdman held a public screening of the movie in the courtyard of Capitol Hill's Coriel Court Apartments, the building where most of the main characters live in the movie. That would be so fun. Yes, this event was attended by over a thousand people, one of them being Bridget Fonda's aunt, Jane Fonda. How fun. That is a lot of fun. I love that. So the single soundtrack was released on June 30th, 1992, and became a bestseller three months before the release of the film. Oh, wow. I thought that was fascinating. That I is fascinating. I don't know if that's ever happened before, but I feel like soundtracks usually come out after the movie. I could be right. wrong on that. But if they do come out before, I really think it's pretty rare for it to become such a big hit before. Right. It's enough of a rarity that we have no idea that soundtracks could potentially come out before a movie. Right. I mean, it was its own thing. Like, I'm sure that built up a lot of hype for the yeah. movie to come out. Mm -hmm. And it included music from the bands that were featured in the film, like Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. And Pearl Jam performed two previously unreleased songs on the soundtrack, Breath and State of Love and Trust. So I'm sure wow. that's why it was such a big hit, because you had all these Pearl Jam fans that were like, oh, there's new music. Yeah. I don't know about this movie, but it has two new Pearl Jam songs on it. That's a classic song, State of Love and Trust. It's great. The soundtrack also features contributions from Paul Westerberg of The Replacements, The Smashing Pumpkins, Jimi Hendrix, and The Lovemongers. Now, The Lovemongers is actually heart. It's like an acoustic yeah, version. Yeah, it's like Anne and Nancy Wilson. And Nancy was married to Cameron Crowe at the time. That's right. It had a lot of other people on the soundtrack too, but I didn't list them all. Yeah, and it's funny, we were listening to the soundtrack and I was wondering why it was looping so quickly. More than half of that soundtrack is not available. I know, and I think that it's the ones that were reissued. Mm -hmm. So the next thing I was going to tell you is that it was reissued on May 19th, 2017, which was coincidentally one day after the death of Soundgarden frontman Chris Cornell. Oh, that's awful. But the release date had already been announced in January, mm -hmm. so it's not like they put that out because of that. Right. But the reissue features new mastering and a bonus disc of previously unreleased material, including rare Chris Cornell recordings. I think it's a lot of the Citizen Dick songs that he wrote that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I think I counted six songs by him. Wow. It includes 18 bonus tracks in addition to the original 13-song soundtrack, as well as demos, instrumentals, new liner notes, and track-by-track -track descriptions by Cameron Crowe, and some live recordings from Paul Westerberg, Allison Chains, and Mudhoney. That is incredible. We have to get that. I know. That's one thing I really love about Cameron Crowe's work is that he is very into details yeah. and he cares about making things great for people. Absolutely. And specifically when it comes to music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Singles is based on a script that Cameron Crowe originally wrote in 1984. That script took place in Phoenix, Arizona. But after Andrew Wood, who is the lead singer of Seattle bands Malfunction and Mother Love Bone, died of a drug overdose in 1990, Crow noticed that the music community in Seattle came together to process this loss. He then rewrote the script with this incident in mind, changing the setting to Seattle. Now, Seattle had been the location of his previous movie, Say Anything, in 1989, which featured a song from Mother Love Bone in the soundtrack, Chloe Dancer slash Crown of Thorns. The same song is on this single soundtrack. I thought that was interesting. It is interesting. And it shows like he was very tied into that scene to know that the community came together like that after right. experiencing the loss. And I just like that he was touched by that and inspired by that. And it kind of changed up the idea he had been tooling with in his head. Like, obviously, nothing had come of the script that he wrote in 84. Right. You know, and here six years later, this death and this community inspired him again. Absolutely. He's like, oh, let's just shift this uh, shift the setting. setting. Yeah. Well, he really, you know, he noticed that something was happening there. I mean, he was very in the know in the music scene. So who better to, to do this movie, really? Absolutely. So there is a moment towards the beginning of the movie where the characters are watching Alice in Chains perform live. Mm -hmm. And apparently Alice in Chains refused to do playbacks and they performed live on set. 
And I think the movie's better for it. Absolutely. It feels great. Like, it's actually, you know, spoiler alert, one of my favorite moments. I figured but, it would be, yeah. yeah. We'll talk more about it in a we minute. We will. So in an early scene at the coffee shop, Janet looks over a customer's shoulder at a book that she's reading. And although the title is obscured, the book is Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung, a collection of pieces by rock journalist Lester Bangs. Bangs was an inspiration and mentor for Cameron Crowe, which is depicted in Almost Famous, where Bangs is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman and advises William, who is based on the young Cameron Crowe. I loved that tie-in. That's great. I had to leave that one in just because you know how much I love Almost Famous. And so I love that there was like a little a little nod to Lester Bangs. This is like Marvel. It's like the Cameron Crowe cinematic universe. Right. <laughs> I just want more of it. More, please. Here's another tie-in in the Cameron Crowe universe. So when Steve is buying pregnancy tests and he comes across the grocery cashier, he mentions that he knows him from Mr. Deegan's class. And Mr. Deegan is a teacher that is mentioned in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which Cameron Crowe also wrote. More in the CCCU. <laughs> CCCU. Cameron <laughs> Crowe Cinematic Universe. That is it. <laughs> Campbell's Scott character is seen wearing a Sub Pop t-shirt, which we both noticed. Yes. Because we just watched a documentary. The Dark Side of the 90s. Dark Side of the 90s that covered Sub Pop. So Sub Pop is a well-known independent record company from Seattle, which released many albums, which became known as the Seattle Sound, most notably Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Mudhoney. And I actually wouldn't have known about Mudhoney. I didn't know of that band. I only know the name of the band. I don't really know the music of the band. Yeah. I'm sure I've I've heard some of it, but I don't really, I can't really recall it. Right. But I know they were pretty iconic in the Seattle music scene. Yes. I, I mean, I fully admit that I was not in the know. But if we hadn't watched that documentary, I wouldn't have known. And then when we rewatched singles, it was like, ah, my yeah. money. I and know them. <laughs> there was a cameo from one of the co-owners of Sub Pop. And they're like, hey, oh, we know that's that guy. Right. Yes. <laughs> and then also I saw that one of the band members of Mudhoney, I don't know if it was the lead singer or not, was given a line. But Cameron was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> and so the guy's like, obviously, I'm not an actor. <laughs> Which makes me think Chris Cornell, who Cameron Crowe actually wanted to play Cliff in the movie. I don't know if he had acting chops or not, because... He has this scene where he walks out. It's like this big moment in the yes. movie and he's just standing there. It's like we're supposed to know who he is at that point where Ooh. you actually weren't introduced to him before. And he's Did he just have other scenes? There. Well, I don't know. But I mean, he has no lines whatsoever. He's just standing there. It's right. This big thing is happening. <laughs> yes. It's just kind of funny. I mean, maybe it's just because it's supposed to be like, we're so cool that Chris Cornell just walks up and hangs out and doesn't yeah. even say anything. It's like just a legit cameo of, I'm going to be on screen. Right. I just thought it was funny that he didn't have one line. Yeah. No lines at all. <laughs> and he could easily say something in that scene. I know. So Cameron Crowe liked Nirvana's Emodium and wanted to use it in the soundtrack. And Crowe even went as far as sending them a video cassette when Kurt Cobain was in Hawaii, but they ended up backing out. I don't know why that was like an interesting fact that it was while Kurt was in Hawaii, you know? Yeah. But I left it in anyway. You don't normally picture Kurt Cobain in Hawaii. I know, but now I'm picturing him with like a lei around his neck and yeah. a pina colada in his hand. Absolutely. <laughs> Crow told Rolling Stone in 2017 that he heard later that Cobain went to the premiere that somebody let him in through the exit at the back of the theater, and he watched the movie. Crow said that he always thought that was pretty great, that that night Kurt Cobain was also in the room. That actually gave me chills a little yeah, bit. I like that. Because I was thinking that too. It was like, ah, oh, it sucks that Nirvana is not a part of this. Right. And I think that they just didn't at the time. I saw they had done an interview and they were just like, well, we didn't want to be. It was like a love story and like a rock and roll movie. Like, I don't yeah. think they really grasped what it was. Yeah, it was it was just the setting. The music was the setting, really, in yeah. the city. Right. They would have been perfect. Absolutely. Now, they would have been perfect, like, set dressing, unfortunately. Other than, you know, like, Eddie was in there. and yeah, but, Like, that movie now is such a time capsule. Right. You know, like, it would have been great to see them, see them there. Totally agree. If you could have gotten them in the background somewhere and then had them, you know, Kurt could have been the... You know, he could have played the maracas in the band or something fun like that, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then like the big pain in the ass with the maracas. Yeah. It's always like, no, no, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I do kind of love that he was there at the premiere, too, yeah. with everybody else. Right. So it is time for our favorite moments. But before we do, we want to tell you where you can reach us. Yes. So we're on Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. TikTok at We Don't Want to Grow Up. We have a Facebook group, the Cozy Club dash fans of We Don't Want to Grow Up. Patreon.com slash We Don't Want to Grow Up. If you'd like to help support the podcast and gain access to super sweet bonus episodes. <laughs> you can email us at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod at gmail.com. And please don't forget to help us out by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a nice review if you enjoyed the podcast. And let your friends and family know where they can listen if you think it's something that they'd like. Yes, and thank you for being here. Thank you for all of the DMs with the positive feedback. It's very encouraging and makes all the time and energy that we put into this worth it. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. I love that you just put your hand up to your ear as if you were a real radio announcer. Are you saying I'm not? <laughs> <laughs> I heard it in, in my head. You zapped me back in time with that. That's right. <laughs> back to you, Ted. <laughs> okay. Favorite moments. All of my favorite moments that I wrote out are like three paragraphs long. Yeah, they are novels. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I had a lot of things to say about this movie. You did. And I'm going to try to summarize them. So I love any... Breaking the fourth wall moment. You do. Where a character talks to you and makes you feel like you're in on it with them. So I love that we're introduced to three out of the four main characters, Janet, Steve, and Linda, at the beginning of the movie. So you meet them and you go on this journey with them. But what hit me on the second viewing, because we did watch this twice, because let's face it, the first time... We we were partying. (laughs) We were. As you should be during this movie. Right. But we, we really partied. So we had to watch it a second time because we wanted to make sure that we (laughs) fully remembered everything we were about (laughs) to be talking about. What I realized, though, is that we get that breaking the fourth wall moment with Cliff, Matt Dillon's character, towards the end of the movie. And the moment that he starts talking to you, it's like you, or at least I, started seeing him in a new way. It's like the clouds parted. And instantly, like, I was invested in what was happening to him. Yeah. Like, I didn't care about him before. So he just seemed very like a self-involved musician who didn't care about Janet as much as she cared about him. And I'm guessing, you know, Cameron wrote it that way on purpose so that we didn't really notice him that much. Well, yeah, he's just he's just this musician at the beginning. And the, the section that you're talking about, you start to see his normal life and you realize, like, he's a struggling artist. You know, he's working at a coffee shop. He's delivering flowers like he's on that hustle to try to make money so that he can play his music. Right. And you start to get to see some of his feelings, his thoughts and all that good kind of stuff. He's talking about Debbie getting the flowers and things like that, where it's like, oh, he, he is paying attention to other people. Right. And he does care. And he has to sneak in and put flowers in the shape of a heart and do all this stuff. And you're just like, oh, okay. I don't know. To me, it just, I thought it was a really interesting way to develop a character. Agreed. And I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. And I was like, oh, well, that's a good call. Yeah. Well done. Oh, thanks. My first one is like a sentence long. So I feel, you know, like I'm underrepresenting this, but. There are no wrong answers. I like that. It's kind of like when people say there's no stupid people. Or wait a minute. There's no stupid <laughs> questions. There's only stupid people that ask questions. Oh, do people say that? People say that. They do. <laughs> okay, so my first favorite moment is the soundtrack. Yes. Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Smashing Pumpkins, Mud Honey, we've talked about it, but it is a parade of amazing 90s rock gods, all on one soundtrack. It's incredible, and I love it. We were listening to it on repeat while we were playing games last night, and it was just so much fun, and I don't know, it, while it's odd to me that this wasn't a part of our lives, especially your life yeah. early on. I do feel like it's like a gift now. It's it like, is. wow, like I feel like we can really appreciate it now. The other gift was me thrashing you at sequence while we listened to this soundtrack. Thrashing you. Well, I wasn't going to bring that part up, but. Well, listen, thanks. I don't I don't ever win at games, but I destroyed you. Well, I guess we have to play again. We will play have a again. rematch. Rematch. 
All right. Number two for me, the whole night that Linda and Steve are hanging out while she's there waiting for her laundry to be done because her laundry machine is broken. Mm-hmm. What's a laundry machine? <laughs> laundry machine. <laughs> Her washer and dryer are broken. I mean, isn't it a laundry machine? <laughs> it is a laundry machine. <laughs> Stop laughing love, at me. Love, I'm getting you back. I've got to go mow the lawn with the lawn machine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think it is called a laundry machine. It might be. And maybe maybe I'm the ass right now. It could be. It's, it's probably the case. I mean, it, it is, in a fact. A washer machine? A machine. That does laundry. Washing so. machine? Washing machine, yeah. Because her washing machine was broken? Yes. <laughs> anyway, so they're having this conversation. They're like out in the courtyard at the apartments, and she's asking him about his neighbors. And I just love that as he's talking about them, we see some of them through their window. You know, he's describing everybody, and she says, You sound like me talking about my family. Hmm. I thought that was just relatable because when you we've talked about this before like when you're in your 20s and you're away from your family your new friends that you make become your family absolutely true i was in an apartment complex that wasn't exactly like this one but you know you did have this section where it was like you got to know everybody in your hallway Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term the person that was straight across from you was the easiest to get to know you know, and the person at the back corner was the most difficult because they were so far away. But it's like you really get to know all the people in your building. Yeah. I just really liked all of their getting to know you conversations and they're listening to his records. And it's just a, a nice evening. But when they go to say goodbye, he tries to give her his garage door opener like she had done with the guy at the beginning of the movie as like a symbol of, I think, just like my place is your place in a, yeah. in a way. It's like giving somebody a key to your apartment. Yes. And it freaked her out when he did it. Mm -hmm. So because it didn't go well with the guy that she had given the garage door. I don't know if it's because she felt like it was things were going too fast or if it just brought up those feelings of that guy breaking her heart. I think it's the latter. Yeah. So she just takes off. And when she gets home, you see her like processing her night and she she's smiling, you know, she's getting ready to brush her teeth and all of a sudden her door buzzes. And it's Steve who says, uh, I was just uh, nowhere near your neighborhood. And then the kissing begins. Let the kissing begin. What a line. Perfect. All right. My second one, which was almost my first, but the Alice in Chains concert in this movie. When this came on screen, I was like, oh my God. This is the closest that I've come to seeing Alice in Chains in concert with Lane Staley as the singer while he was alive. So I was really excited to get to experience it. I've got an HM on my number two, which is, this is followed closely by the restaurant scene with Eddie Vedder and Jeff Ament. And then also Chris Cornell in the glass breaking car base scene. (laughs) I loved all of their cameos. I thought it was so incredible. It was mind blowing. I was like, oh my God, I love this. (laughs) Like a kid in a candy store. Yes. I have to say that the moment when they walk into the club, just, I don't know, maybe it's because I just miss concerts and we haven't really been to, I especially haven't been to like a small concert like that in a long time. Right. Where you go in and you get stamped. You know what I mean? Or you get a bracelet. Yeah. And you're just in like a small close quarters. Right. Yeah. Wading through the crowd. And the music's already playing as you're going in. Like that's just a different feeling. Mm -hmm. And I could feel that excitement, even though they didn't look like they were that excited. Like it almost seemed like, oh, we're checking. They were just there. We're checking out this band that we've never seen before. I I don't know who this is, but you know what I mean? That's how it almost felt. Like they're just, they're just in Seattle and it's a band playing at a bar. It's another Tuesday. Yeah. In Seattle. But it reminded me of my days of going to see smaller bands playing at bars and clubs that weren't that huge. But it was just, I don't know, just a feeling of that music. You can feel the bass. Yes. You know, in your chest. And yeah. Totally agree. My third favorite moment. I love the way that they wrapped up the two main love stories in the end. Mm. With Linda and Steve, we now have Linda coming to his door and saying, I was just nowhere near your neighborhood. With the callback, you know, to the scene that I was just talking about. Right. 
along with them making out and rolling over the garage door remote, which caused the door to open and shut repeatedly. I thought that was just a nice little nod. I took that as them banging. That's what the garage door was supposed to show, like they were banging. (laughs) So it was like causing the garage remote to do that. Yeah. Well, I think it's a couple of things. You know what I mean? Like, I think Cameron's very thoughtful with his (laughs) (laughs) planning of all of that. And I think it's that, but I think it's also she's talking about that's like the first scene in the movie is Linda here. Cedric is talking about how she feels about the fact that she's in this new duplex and she actually has her own parking space and a garage door opener, all of that. So that it was just kind of a fun tie in. And then with Janet and Cliff, we've heard her say a few times that she just wants someone that will say, bless you, when she sneezes. Well, actually, she says gesundheit, but she prefers bless you because it's sweeter. Right. And we had previously seen that Cliff didn't say anything when she sneezed before. But this time, just as she's moved on and she's fine not being with him, they end up in the elevator together. This is where he says, That's a very nice hat you're wearing, and I don't mean that in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. (laughs) And then she sneezes and he says, bless you. And the realization that washes over her face that maybe he is actually the guy for her. And that paired with the fact that he's done a lot of nice things for her lately. He's been trying to win her back over. They just look at each other and start kissing. The end. The end. They are together forever. They better be. They are. All right. So my third one, the calculator watch that could store up to 20, count them, 20 numbers. (laughs) What a great piece of technology. Now, I had one of these watches. Did you? I did. And I thought it was the absolute coolest thing ever. Did you store numbers in there? No, but I remember getting that present at Christmas and being so amazingly excited to open it and then to just do calculations. Were you young when you got it? Yeah, it was in the 80s when I got it. Late 80s when I got it. Yeah, I was still a kid. But then eventually I would spell like boobs and boobies on it (laughs) with 8008 and 8008135. As you do. As you do in middle school at that point. But seeing that, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about the calculator watch. That's so much fun. I love that we see that he's excited about being able to get the numbers. And then we see later that he actually got the numbers. He did. He probably filled that thing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about the memory banks on that device, 20 numbers. It's a lot. (laughs) It's our first smartwatch. Yeah. Yeah. That and the Pac-Man watch. (laughs) So HMs, my first one is Debbie's dating video, which is shot by Brian, who is Tim Burton. Right. And Debbie's unsure about Brian filming at first because she's like, he doesn't even know me. Right. And the girl that's working there, she's like, are you kidding me? He is only like the next Martin Scorsese. I love how she (laughs) says it, too. But that video, too. I mean, she's like flying through the city. It's incredible. It starts out with her like in the shower. Then she's flying around the city. Yes. Then she's like laying, being like all sexy or whatever. And what there was something else we were watching that sparked a big conversation about dating videos. Oh, it was the Goldbergs. Yes. Dating videos are so fascinating to Mm. me. I mean, that was the beginning of a new way of dating, you know? Here's a question, though. Like, did you then have to like, because I I never did that. So I I don't really know. It was a little before me. Yeah, I feel like it was time-wise the yeah. 80s yeah. when adults were starting and, to do that. Well, early 90s, apparently. I mean, they did in the 80s. Yes, but I'm saying also into the early oh, 90s. Right. Yeah, well, anything before, before we had the internet. Yeah. But like, would you just get a best hits or would, would they be short enough where you would get a video from the company that contained, you know, the 20 best singles that are for you? You know, like, how yeah, would you consume that? I don't know how that? it worked. We really need to research that. We do. Or have a friend of the show tell us how it worked if they did it. Yeah, if there's anyone listening that, you know, was making some dating videos in right. the 80s or early 90s, let us know. It's amazing if that's how it worked. And then if that's indeed how it worked, how did they pick the ones that they sent you? And they're so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, yes. They're very, very cheesy. Right. It's great. <laughs> You need to do some searching to see if you can find any of that. I know. I was thinking like I should do a post with some of those and also like the dating game, you oh, know, yes. episodes of that. I should find some of those to share on Instagram. Totally agree. All right. My first HM. This is a simple one. But when Janet goes up to the roof and brings her phone with her, <laughs> you can see the phone cord stretched from the roof down across 
the courtyard into her window. I know. And it's just like, oh, man, I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, you had to try to stretch your cord. I mean, that's a long cord. That is a long cord. I love that scene, too, because it's where she realizes, like, I can be single. I'm fine when I'm single. She's good. You know, and she's just like laying out on the roof happy. So wouldn't we have had a cordless phone by that point? Um, Maybe she just didn't have one. I think it varied at that point. I feel like we had I mean, and a cordless they phone were at my filming, dad's. They filmed this in 91. Yeah. I still have my new kids on the block phone, which definitely had a cord. But my yeah. parents may have had a cordless phone in the mm. living room. But That's I think true. in their bedroom, still a phone with a cord. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. My next HM, when Steve asks Linda to marry him. And they're walking along and she goes, oh, God, don't make me remember this chili dog forever because she's (laughs) eating a chili dog. And he says, make that a historic chili dog. (laughs) Well, he says, like, if the answer is yes, take a bite. Right. And it zooms in on the chili dog. That's just such a very different and specific moment in the mind of Cameron Crowe. And I love that. Well, and it's like a real moment. You know, sometimes those types of questions come along and you're just like, Uh, I'm going to ask now when it's not the right time. Yeah. It never goes how you think it will. True. All right. My second HM, the hamburger crab. It looked like a giant, delicious hamburger bun. But it was a crab. But it was actually a crab. What part of the movie was this, though? This was very early on in the movie. Yeah. And somebody's holding a crab in one of the restaurants, I think, or in like an outdoor market. And I was like, oh, my God, that looks like the most delicious hamburger bun. And I want a giant hamburger right (laughs) now. (laughs) But it has legs. (laughs) But it's got legs. But if you see it, if you go watch this movie, you'll see the crab. And then if you think about it, you'll see the hamburger, you'll see the hamburger and you'll be like, oh, my God, I want a hamburger bun just like that right now. (laughs) Or some crab legs or some crab legs or maybe both. A little surf and turf. Yeah, a little surf and turf. (laughs) That's funny because I had forgotten about that. But I remember you saying that looks like a hamburger. (laughs) And it made me very, very hungry. (laughs) That is the most random HM ever. I love it. Okay, my next HM. So when Dr. Jameson, who is played by Bill Pullman, tells Janet that he doesn't think she needs the breast implants that he's going to give her Mm -hmm. or he's supposed to be giving her. It's like weird science breast implants. Yes. And I did like that whole scene in the doctor's office where they were deciding what size. Upsizing, downsizing. Yes. But he, I think, you know, has a little crush on her and tells her he thinks she's perfect just as she is. And he knows, you know, that she's just doing it because she thinks her boyfriend wants her to have bigger boobs. Right. Maybe an unpopular opinion, but I think that Bill Pullman is actually very charming and makes a great romantic lead. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Like he wasn't here, obviously a lead. He had a very small scene, but it was memorable. But like, I loved him. And while you were sleeping. Independence Day. Yes. He's very charismatic. He is. And he's just got this look where he's like disarming, but still super charming. And he like has that nice, normal, safe guy vibe. But yet, I don't know. There's just like a little something there like space balls. Mm. Right. Yes. But the lovable rogue. Right. But typically like the nice, normal, safe guy is not my thing in movies. Like I'm more the bad guy. Not the bad guy, but the bad boy. Yes. I'm the bad boy. (laughs) You're referring to me. I understand that. The audience does as well. <laughs> we all understand. But with Bill Pullman, with Bill Pullman, the nice, normal, safe guy with a little spark works. I like it. Justice for Bill Pullman. A question before <laughs> yes. we proceed. Okay. Is that your last HM? No. Good, because I have more too. Okay. We were taking a lot of notes for this movie and we, we were did. like, oh my gosh, I have so many things I want to talk about. We instituted a new practice where we were actually recording our favorite moments as we watched, which I know to the audience seems pretty obvious, but it's not <laughs> what we do. <laughs> we don't typically do that. And then we're like scrambling to try to remember what our favorite moments were. Right. You know, it's just like, well, what did I like about that movie? You're like, Now I got to watch that thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to look up YouTube clips. No, 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 no. No, we got to watch it again and come up with our own ideas. (laughs) We don't use YouTube. No, I don't. I no, I don't use YouTube to like tell me what my favorite moments are, but I will look up clips from the movie to try to refresh my memory. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My third HM, the pocket pager beeper garage door opener combo. 
<laughs> you talk about a point in time device. Yes. Oh, but, that's when she goes to try yes. to get a new one because the guy, she had given it to the guy that screwed right. her over. The Spanish guy. The Spanish guy. <laughs> the guy from Spain. <laughs> the Spanish guy. The Spanish guy. The Spanish guy stole her garage door opener. <laughs> she needs a new one and they're trying to upsell her. But I love, first of all, that there was potentially a device that did all of these things in one. And you would cart that around with you because normally you'd leave your garage door opener in the car. Right. You're not leaving a pager or beeper in the car. That's on your person. So when I saw this, I wanted one of those. (laughs) I didn't know those existed. Right. But all of these technologies have died except for our garage door opener. It's slowly changing where you can do it with an IoT device. But I mean, I still have a garage door opener that would have been almost the same thing that my dad was using in like 84. Just a little smaller, probably. Uh, A little bit, but not that much smaller. Actually, his was kind of nicer than what I have. Oh. But I just love that it was a combo device. You know what I think is funny is that I've talked about this before, that my dad used to like to get like the latest technology. Yeah. But one thing never got, but two things, because I mentioned one thing to you last week. The thing I mentioned to you last week was that there are no bathroom fans yes. at my parents' house. So they never did that. Travesty. I know. And then the other one is like garage door openers, like an automatic garage door. Now my mom has that. But when he was around, it was you had manually. You had to pull up and then get out and open the door (laughs) and then get back in the car. I guarantee you that is your dad back then not wanting to spend the money on that (laughs) because it was like $250 to install two of them. And he's just like, man, weird the things that he would be thrifty about. But then other things, you know, he'd spend however much a VCR was before everybody else had them. That's like a thousand dollars. Right. Or like, a, you know, in what are those called? In-home vacuum cleaner. Yes. You know, (laughs) like royalty had that. And so did you. (laughs) Royalty and me. My last HM, the phone call that Steve makes to Linda during the Soundgarden show. Mm. Okay, he's leaving a message on her machine. I love it because he says, I was just having many beers. (laughs) (laughs) A drunk dial. And he's got all the people banging on the doors. He's like, it's not a bathroom. This is not a bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And he's confessing that he loves her. He says, I think we made a big mistake because we had good times and 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 bad times, but we had times. That's right. I mean, how deep is that? He's not mm-hmm. wrong. And then, of course, she walks into her duplex right after he stops talking, hits play on the machine, and it eats the it tape. It eats the tape. So ah. 90s. So 80s. So 90s. And I guess, according to my dad, 60s and 70s as well. So she never heard what he said. She never heard it. And this, like, tailspin him into, like, a dark place. Yeah. And neither of them were happy. I mean, good thing she finally came to his door Mm -hmm. because otherwise, I don't know what would have happened. That was, I don't have this moment down there, but when he says, what took you so long? Yes. I feel that. It's just like. And she says, I was stuck in traffic. Yeah. And that is so big because his job was studying traffic patterns and stuff. And trying to solve that with trains. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I wanted to mention that, but I felt like it was too much. Well, it's in there now. (laughs) It's like a secret HM. (laughs) My final HM, I loved seeing someone making decisions based on whether or not they made a basket. (gasps) That was Janet. Janet did that. I would do that too. I'd be like, this girl's going to call me if I make this basket. I mean, I would always miss, but I had a basket at my dad's house on the top of my door with like a foam basketball. I would make most of my life decisions based on whether or not I made a basket. (laughs) And then that kind of graduated eventually to when I actually played basketball and I'd be practicing outside and I would make a lot of choices based on whether or not I hit baskets. Yeah. I thought it was funny that she'd be like, I'm supposed to call Cliff if I make the basket and then she didn't make it. And then she's like, but maybe... Maybe I'm, but you know, like she'd still work it out where she'd have to call him. One other note. Yes. Just because we both talked about it. That pregnancy test. Whoa. That Linda took. I mean, that seemed very complicated. It's like a science kit. Yes. You had to pour one thing into another. And if the liquid turned blue, it was this. And I mean, I I get that that's like sort of what it is now, but it it was just more. It's a bit more. Yeah. It's a bit more automatic now. (laughs) Not as much sciencing going on. Right. It made me feel stressed out. 
I liked it. It was like Beaker and Dr. Benson Honeydew <laughs> in the lab. That <laughs> 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 makes me so happy. Oh. All right. So to send us off, I thought it would be fun to list some other bands that were formed in 1992. Yeah. Obviously, all the ones that were featured in this movie were formed well before this. Pearl Jam, though, I think was just 1990. Yeah. But I didn't realize, like, I just never think about the fact that, like, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains were formed in like the mid 80s. That blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I just have this certain idea of what the 80s were and that was not it. But that's just what I was exposed to. Well, yeah. And they weren't popular at that point, you know, so you wouldn't have heard. Unless I was living in Seattle and like of the the age to know. To be in a bar and to catch like this different sounding band that didn't sound like a hair metal band. Right. But anyway, so these are some of the bands that were formed that year that this movie came out. Not all of them, obviously, but a few. So you had Collective Soul. Bush. Blink-182. 69 Boys. Let me see that Tootsie Roll. (laughs) Dishwalla. The Cardigans. Hanson. Hanson? Yeah, they were very young. I mean, you know, it was within the family. Okay. Everclear. Puddle of Mud. Which I love. I love Puddle of Mud. Less Than Jake. Silver Chair. Another one that I love. (laughs) The Verve Pipe. Love Verve Pipe. Veruca Salt. Weezer. I love Weezer. I, me too. And us three, which gave us bitty bitty bop, little cantaloupe. Funky, funky. <laughs> what a year. I know. Dang. That is amazing. So for 1992, top 10 best albums of the year, according to Wikipedia, REM's Automatic for the People. Rage Against the Machine, self-titled Rage Against the Machine. Pavement, Slanted and Enchanted. Alice in Chains, Dirt. Wow. Tori Amos, Little Earthquakes. Dr. Dre's The Chronic. I can remember that coming out. Mm-hmm. Faith No More, Angel Dust. Sublime, 40 Ounces to Freedom. Sonic Youth, Dirty. And the Beastie Boys, Check Your Head. And then we have the top five biggest hit singles of 1992. They didn't all come out in 92, though. Some of them were 91, but they were still huge hits. Right. So number one was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Number two, Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Number three was Boys to Men, End of the Road. Number four, Snap, Rhythm is a Dancer. Uh-huh. feel like I'm at a middle school dance. <laughs> and number five was Mr. Big, To Be With You. And that's all we have. Remember to keep all those fun, nostalgic stories coming in. DM us for the show and tell questionnaire and have a great rest of your day. Later. Bye. Bye.